All right. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Welcome to Trace. Thanks for being here. I'm, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And do want to say thanks for being here on this Father's Day weekend. I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I want to say welcome to those that will be watching online today. But we do want to take a moment and say a special thanks to the dads in the room. So can we give it up for dads this morning? Is that okay? <clears throat> let, me, let me take a moment and tell you something that I often say to men when I'm in a group of men, if I'm speaking to a group of men, I say something like this. I think it'll be valuable for all of us to hear together today. I believe one of the biggest reasons why we've seen the breakdown in our country from a morality standpoint, from a lot of standpoints really, I believe one of the biggest reasons we've seen this breakdown in our country is because of the breakdown of the American family. And I believe that the breakdown in the American family is riding on the backs of the lack of intentionality among men. Specifically, men leading their families, being good husbands and being good fathers. And so for all the dads in the room this morning, I want to look at you and say thank you. Thanks for doing what I believe to be one of the best action steps you could take, which is putting yourself, maybe not just yourself, but your family in an environment where you're showing that you're willing to put God at the center of your life, and your desire is that you're going to put God at the center of your family's life. So one more time, can we say thanks for the dads in this room right now? Thanks for being here. Well, a couple weeks ago, we kicked off this new series called On the Move. And what this series has allowed us to do is kind of like pull up a front row seat and watch the beginning of the church take, take place. If you're new here to Trace, we've been in this series called On the Move where we're looking at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the beginning of this movement of God that we call the church. And it's allowed us to see some things transpire. And we're seeing people come to know Jesus on a daily basis. And even though the church has been going now for about 2,000 years, the biggest strides and the biggest accomplish, accomplishments that the church ever has seen was in the first 150 days of the church's existence. Now keep in mind that at that point in time, they didn't even have the Bible yet. What you hold in your hand today, as far as the New Testament is concerned, was not compiled until the fourth century. And all they have to go on is Jesus. Some of them got to see Jesus face to face. They got to spend time with him when he was alive. Some of them got to see Jesus after he rose from the dead. Others are getting to see the apostles as they're doing miracles in his name. And we're watching some of the biggest movements and the biggest strides and accomplishments that the church has ever seen in its 2,000 years approximately of its existence. Friends, the church, what we've been observing over these first four chapters, is now beginning to gain some momentum. And what started with just a small group of people has now grown to thousands in a very short period of time. But just like there is today, there was also the same kind of people there were then, which is skeptics. People who didn't believe this guy named Jesus. They didn't believe this was going to amount to anything. And I know we hear a lot of you know, skepticism today when it comes to the church, and they definitely had their fair share of it when they were getting the church started. There's a fancy word that we learn in Bible college. Maybe you've picked it up along the way if you've been in church for a while, and it's called apologetics. And apologetics is nothing more than the defense or the ability to defend that, the, that Christianity is legit. It's, an actual, uh, it's actually true that Jesus is who he said he was. And one of the best defenses or arguments maybe for the Christian faith is that so many people in such a short period of time came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
but specifically Jewish people. Jewish people. And here's why I say that. If you were a Jewish man back in the time when Jesus, right after Jesus died, and we've got this beginning of the church getting going, the, the start of this movement, if you were a Jewish man and you converted to Christianity, a couple things were likely to happen. First, you would have been, been disowned by your family. They would have wanted nothing to do with you. But you also, potentially, would have been stoned to death. And so why in the world would a Jewish man convert to Christianity? The only legitimate reason is that he actually saw Jesus himself. Maybe resurrected from the dead, because Jesus appeared to many people. Maybe these Jewish men saw the Acts of the Apostles, and all the healings and miracles and wonders, signs and wonders being done in Jesus' name. And this has become one of the best defenses for Christianity because why in the world would a Jewish man convert to Christianity if he knew he would potentially be putting himself on death's doorstep? I want to show you something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and then I'm going to back it up by a couple other things. Let me read it to you first. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus was buried. Then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500, that's a significant number, 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And the reason that number is significant is because this is actually accounted for in other forms of history. And the number 500 is actually used in Roman Uh, If you look at Roman historical accounts, if you look at Judaism historical accounts, and even look at historical accounts from famous historians like guys like Josephus, they have accounts of these mass conversions taking place and people coming to know Jesus in huge numbers. And so if you're in here today and you still find yourself a skeptic, you're in a safe place. Like, really, I want you to come. I want you to ask questions. It's okay to be skeptical. I don't know if you know this, but you can belong here even before you believe. But what we have noticed over the last three weeks now in the first four chapters of Acts can actually be backed up by non-Christian biased accounts. And so my hope is today is that you'll continue to lean into this conversation and not lean back, even if you're in here as a skeptic. So let me stop that and transition into our study time today. So far, we have observed a small group of ordinary people, like you and me, make a decision that their lives were no longer their own. And the grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, and truth of Jesus was a message that they felt everyone needed to hear, even if it cost them their own life. And because of their tenacity, this small group of believers that started the church has now grown, as we're reading and picking up in chapter 5 today, has now grown to thousands simply because they cannot shut up. That's it. They cannot stop talking about what they've seen and what they've experienced. And they want to let everybody they can know about this good news. Have you ever learned some insider information where you can't wait to tell somebody what, what it is that you've learned. Maybe for you, you were, you've been trying to get pregnant for many years. And finally, that little stick came back with two lines. And you can't wait to share it with family and friends. Maybe for you, you finally passed your final exams and college is now behind you. And you can't wait to celebrate with people that you love and you call friends. Maybe for you, you got that job. That job you've been trying to get, you're really hoping to get. And you got the good news that you got it. And you want to share it with people as soon as you can. 
For some of you, it could have been that you got that news you were hoping to hear. Maybe for years, you're cancer-free. For this guy, he couldn't wait to share and even show that he was living on a prayer. Check this out. Turn it up. You gotta turn this up. This is Bon Jovi. It's in, come on, we get. Raise your hand if you want to see Corey reenact that when we move into our new place. Yeah, it's done. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> All right. As we find our way back into the book of Acts today and we, we watch the beginning stages of this epic story unfold, we're going to land in a scene where we observe the Christians beginning to sell all that they had just so others can be provided for. And even though we're covering chapters 5 and 6 today, I want to briefly jump back into chapter 4 to set this up. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Friends, in our age of consumerism, it's probably difficult for us to understand this sentiment, to be able to identify with what these guys are actually doing. The fact that they're selling everything that they have just so that they can give to those in need. I don't know if many of us could identify with that. And let's not even talk about selling everything we have. Let's just talk about selling some of our stuff. And not so our pockets can become more full, but so we can actually meet the needs of others. I've said this before, and I'll say it again this morning. Friends, if we're not careful, when it comes to consumerism, we will be consumed by it. And the things that we own can and will begin to own you if you're not careful. And maybe one of the strongest steps that we can take away from this idea of consumerism is actually becoming generous. Learning to get rid of our stuff, right? Because somewhere along the line, we bought into the lie that life is about accumulating stuff. And so we invest our time, attention, and resources in accumulating as much stuff as we can. And then we learn it doesn't fulfill us. Just ask some of the richest people that you've ever met. And they'll tell you that stuff does not bring happiness. And so what do we do? Maybe for you, God's calling you to get rid of all your stuff. I don't know. But I think for most of us, he just doesn't want us to be consumed by stuff. 
And I think of this more as a spiritual transaction as I, than I do a physical one because when we become generous and we learn to get rid of our stuff or at least not invest our time, tension, and resources and life into the pursuit of stuff, we learn what it looks like to put Christ in the place of consumerism. And by minimizing our focus on stuff, it may be the best thing that we ever do to put Christ in his rightful place. Friends, learn to let it go. Something that Ananias and Sapphira had a hard time doing. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming, claiming it was the full amount. And with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. But after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. And instantly, she fell to the floor and died. I think now is a good time to take an offering. Um, <laughs> I obviously say that tongue-in-cheek, but unfortunately, guys, there's people in my position, maybe churches that you've been a part of that have abused passages of Scripture like this, and if that's ever been the case for you, can I say I'm sorry? Like, truly, sincerely, I'm sorry. If you were ever part of one of those environments, you're not going to find that here at Trace. But let's, let's take a look on what actually is happening here. You see, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their property, and they said that they were going to give all the proceeds to the apostles, but they lied. Who knows, maybe their property, we don't know this, but maybe their property brought in more money than they thought. Maybe the market was good. Maybe their land was right beside a Starbucks, and so it rose the, the value. We don't know, right? But maybe they got a little bit more money than they thought, and when they received it, they're thinking, well, those guys don't need that much money, so let's just keep a little bit for ourselves. Now, does this mean that every time we don't follow through on something that we, we're, we're going to say we're going to do for God, every time we don't follow through on it, he's just going to take us out? No. If that were the case, I don't think there'd be anybody in this room. Whether I don't think I'd have made it past the age of five. But maybe, hear me on this, hear me. Maybe. Every time we don't follow through on something God is asking us to do, maybe there is something, a little something inside of us that dies. Let me do this. Let me pull back from this conversation. Let, let me hit it with a broader stroke. Let me hit it from about 10,000 feet and I want to do this by actually speaking to the Christians in the room. And so if you're in here right now and you're not a Christian, again, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. Keep coming. Keep asking questions. But I want to talk to the Christians in the room. So again, if you're not a Christian, just feel free to eavesdrop. Uh, you get a pass on what I'm about to do here. Christians, is your faith costing you anything? Anything. If you'll give me the opportunity, I want to get in your face 
a little bit this morning. Hopefully, with the last several months, I've gained some relational equity in your mind, and you'll allow me to do this without being offended. Because if your faith is not costing you anything, you're probably playing in this world called play-it-safe Christianity, what some would call Christian atheism, which means with your lips, you claim to believe in God. But with your life, it looks like there's no belief at all. And so maybe for you, play-it-safe Christianity means, hey, I'm in, I'm in, as long as I don't have to do anything long as I don't have to give up anything or change anything about my life. I wonder, I wonder sometimes what the early believers, these guys we've been reading about in the, in the book of Acts, I wonder what they would say about our play it safe Christianity. Maybe they'd be so bold to look at us and say, it's not Christianity at all. A few years ago, Corey and I had the chance to walk through a place called Garbage City in Egypt. And this was a place where all the Christians were forced to go in the 60s and 70s. And they literally, millions of Christians today, literally live in the trash. And Corey and I walked through this. We've been there a couple times, actually. And we went up and we actually found that there's a place where these guys have dug in the side of mountains and created churches. Because they weren't going to let big heaps of trash keeping them from what they knew was the most important thing in their life. And yeah, they didn't actually need a place like this to worship, but they decided to start digging one day, and they created these beautiful places of worship. I've actually stood in these cave churches. And so I was very disappointed and really hurt when I, when I heard the news that about three months ago, one, a, a terrorist attack happened in one of these churches, and a bomb went off and destroyed part of one of these cave churches. Hold that thought. As many of you know, on May 22nd, there was a horrible tragedy at a concert in Manchester that left 26, 26 people dead. And unfortunately, this kind of news doesn't catch us by surprise anymore because of how frequent we're hearing these things happen. But what did catch me by surprise is how this tragedy in Manchester was all over the news for several weeks. But another attack that just happened four days later in Egypt seemed to be completely overlooked. You see, four days later... After the Manchester tragedy, there was a group of Christians on a bus going to a monastery to pray. And they were coming from these cave churches. We don't know this, but maybe they were coming to the monastery, going to the monastery to pray for the ones that were lost in the bombing during these cave church attacks. And one by one, ISIS made people walk and get off the bus. And after they would not renounce their faith in Jesus, they assassinated 30 people including 10 children. Neither of these tragedies is greater than the other. But there is a tragedy here. The tragedy is how our world seems to dismiss <clears throat> anything that would testify to Christians who are willing to lay down their life for Christ. Christians who probably don't even know the meaning of the word play it safe, Christianity. Friends, the world doesn't care about your sacrifices that you make for Jesus. They're more apt to care about a concert getting disrupted. But let me ask you this, and please, please lean in on this one. If no one else is watching, no one else. Is Jesus alone a big enough reason for you to honor him with your life and not just your lips? 
One of the things that we observe in the beginning moments of the church in the book of Acts is how they were trying to dismiss the movements of God then, just like they're trying to dismiss the movements of God today. And they were trying to do that by looking back and showing that there were other people that came that, that claimed to be the Messiah like Jesus did. Jesus wasn't the first one. You'd actually be surprised how many people claim to be the Messiah. And they're like, hey, just give it time. Just give it time. And like all the rest, these little movements, these little gatherings of people will dissolve and go away. Let me show you a conversation that took place in the Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish council. Acts chapter 5, verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, again, just a Jewish council with all the elite Jewish leaders, in order that the men be put outside for a little while. He's talking about Peter and the other apostles because they had been arrested, and they're trying to figure out what to do with these guys. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. But he was killed, and his followers followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Well, from that moment on, the followers didn't scatter. They grew because this movement, it was not of human origin. This movement was of God. And in chapter 6, we actually even see some of these Jewish leaders, the people that were a part of this Jewish council called the Sanhedrin, they started to put their faith in Jesus because they could not deny any longer any longer that Jesus was who he said he was. They could not deny it. And they were in a position where they said, hey, we either better buy into this or we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. Many, many years ago, when I was still in the health and wellness field, some of you guys know this, I used to be a strength conditioning coach and a health professional. My background was in uh, exercise science. And I knew God was getting my attention to go into full-time ministry but I was fighting him. And if I'm being honest with you today, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go into ministry. I had my career. I loved my career. And I was fighting God on this. And a lot of other people were encouraging me, Aaron, this is what God wants for you. And I'm like, don't tell me what God wants for me. I can do whatever I want. But I found myself in this position of finally figuring out this is what God wants for me. And I finally gave in. And I made the step to go into full-time ministry And then Emily and I had this decision put in front of us. There was a position that opened in Arizona. And I remember when I came home and I looked at her and I told her for the very first time, babe, what do you think about moving to Arizona? Remember what you said to me? She said, hell no. (laughs) Now, in her defense, everybody should say no to hell, okay? I mean, that's not a bad thing. But you should judge her. I did too. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But that was, that was hard. I mean, we loved where we lived. All of our family was in Kentucky. God, you want us to do what? But we submitted ourselves to the process, and God made it abundantly clear. I didn't have to um, help her to see that this is what God wanted for us. He made it completely clear to both of us. And we made the step. It wasn't easy. And we moved to Arizona. And since then, Emily and I have made a couple harder decisions 
when it comes to leaps of faith in the ministry that God has chosen for us. One being coming up here and planting this church. Friends, they weren't safe and they weren't easy. But here's what I can tell you about Emily and myself. We're done fighting God. We're done. I fought God the majority of my younger life and I'm done. I'd rather spend the rest of my life fighting for him. I want to help you do that too. I really do. Friends, there are plenty of things in this life that are valuable, that are worthy to fight for. Fight for your marriage, fight for your kids, fight against addiction, fight against temptation, fight for your purity, fight this idea of play it safe Christianity. Just don't find yourself fighting against God. Here's what I'll end with. Jesus Jesus is who he said he was. His movement, it continues today. He wants you to be a part of that movement by handing over the keys to your life. And now, he just wants you to do some stuff in his name. Not accumulate stuff. He just wants you to do some stuff and join with him on this mission. And if you don't know what that looks like, feel free to join us in our mission here at Trace. Just learn what it looks like to leave a trace of God's love everywhere you go. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thanks for the dads in the room. Thank you for giving us a front row seat to see what you intended your church to be from the very beginning. Lord, I know we've gotten it wrong. I actually understand why there's a lot of skeptics in this world because we, we jack things up sometimes and we don't represent your son very well but we see very clearly that this was never supposed to be about us. It was never supposed to be about accumulating stuff. It was always supposed to be how we could live our lives for your son Jesus and help others when there was an opportunity to help others. Father, would you partner with us in that? Get us away from this mindset of play it safe Christianity. Sometimes being an American is a curse to our faith. Now, we love this country, God. We all would agree with that. This is one of the best countries, if not the best country on earth. But because, it's, because we're so safe here and because we get so comfortable here, we get caught up in this play at safe Christianity. And I don't even know if it's Christianity at all. So God, would you show us what it looks like to literally give you our lives, submit ourselves to you and whatever that may look like. And in the process, just do stuff in your son's name. Help us do that. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.